Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Lost in Science for another week. My name is Claire and this week on the show we have some great musical science for you. Well, I have some great musical science. Did you know that uh, there are animals out there that can play musical instruments? They've got rhythm. They've got rhythm. They've got dancing. Who could ask for anything more? Palm cockatoos from Cape, the Cape York Peninsula can actually play the drums. And so I'm going to cool. um, explore some of the research that's just been uh, published around these amazing palm cockatoos. They're, they're honestly, like seriously, you've got to Google these animals. They are very cool looking birds and they play the drums and they're pretty much um, the only other species on this planet that has rhythm. Can they play the solo from Moby Dick? That's the big question. <laughs> what? The drum solo from Moby Dick. I don't know about that, Stu. Oh, yeah, talking about. What do you have for us today, Stu? Well, one of the big questions that's plaguing the earth at the moment is, is the, is the world round? Well, is it plaguing the earth? Or no, it's we... not. It's really not. But I was, I was just going to have a quick look <laughs> at the history of the roundness of the earth and how do we know that? And there's some things you can basically do for yourself to okay. to demonstrate that the earth is round if Great. you have any doubts you can just go out there into the world and figure it out for yourself oh i want to know this i want to, I want to hear this cuz I, I think it's quite I actually think it's quite difficult to demonstrate that the world is is round well they they demonstrated it some considerable time ago um, yeah, you usually need a friend to help you, don't you? Yeah, you do. You yeah. do. So everyone out there who has a friend, grab your friend and listen to Stu. <laughs> now I know why I failed to prove the earth is round before. <laughs> it's a lack of friends that's the problem. That could be it. Yeah. Or that, you know, it's round. Mm. Now, if you were going to create a band from the animal kingdom, who would you put in it? Who would you put in the band? Um, elephants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, elephants, yeah. Elephants could be the bass because um, they can stamp their feet. And trumpet. Yeah, and they also have a trumpet. Yep, yep. Um, that gorilla that drums to Phil Collins' um, <laughs> drumming in the, the Cadbury ad. Chris. Yeah. yeah? That is a man in a gorilla suit. Was it? Yes. Oh, okay. don't, don't kill his dreams. <laughs> I'm killing his dreams. I want real animals from the real uh, animal kingdom. Who else would I What about have? a grasshopper? They do their like... Oh, yeah. Sort of like a, a, like a wind instrument. Yeah, yeah. Or like or a, a lyre bird because of their repertoire. Yeah, yeah. They can just um, copy everyone. Or yeah. yeah, or learn something really quickly. What about a woodpecker? Ooh, good one. A woodpecker. Yeah. Or a kookaburra. Microbats as well. Oh, um, I love them. Yeah, yeah. My they fans. actually can sing to one another. Some species sing to one another, but it is it's quite high pitch. Oh, okay. So we won't be able to hear it, but right. you know, other um, animals would be able to hear it. What about the um the the trumpet beetle? Would you put that on trumpet? Probably. I don't know <laughs> if it's a real beetle or not, but it sounds like it should trumpet be trumpet beetle. <laughs> 
fact check. We're going to have to fact check you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you reckon you'd put the gorilla on drums, would you? Yeah. The man in the gorilla suit. Well, I would put the palm cockatoo on drums. Oh, would you? Palm cockatoo. Yes, because new research published in the journal Science Advances shows that palm cockatoos, the amazing glossy black and red cockatoos that you find Ooh, in the north of Queensland um, and also in Papua New Guinea, I implore you to Google palm cockatoos because they are, and I know you're going to, Chris, because I can see you about to, t- no, <laughs> about to Google I'm it. Googling trumpet beetle. <laughs> Come on, get with the program. The palm cockatoo is the coolest cockatoo in the animal kingdom. It's got this amazing, huge, shiny black um, mohawk. So it really fits into being a heavy metal drama with that amazing mohawk. <laughs> Don't you reckon? It's really cool. Um, is it mainly black or, or? It's mainly black and it's also got red on it. They're Ooh, extremely, um, they're extremely rare. Yeah, Very small. They fit in your palm. Is that why they got their name? No, they they eat out of palm trees. Are they large? Are they? Yeah, they're yeah, pretty large. According to the internet, it's also known as the Goliath cockatoo. So I suggest I suggest <laughs> Goliath it's cockatoo. Oh no, that was ironic when they named it. <laughs> it's actually tiny. No, it, it's 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 quite it's quite big. It's a hefty. It is a hefty cockatoo. Um, anyway, so not only do these guys play drums, but they also can fashion drumsticks out of Ooh. branches and seed pods, um, and use them as tools to beat out. Um, a steady rhythm, not just any sort of rhythm, but a steady rhythm. Anyway, unsurprisingly, this whole process of finding um, the drumsticks, playing the drums, um, accompanies an array of um, the cockatoo's calls and a whole sort of like wing flapping uh, cool. choreography that um, shows off to the female palm cockatoo just what an amazing dude the male palm cockatoo really is. I reckon. Yeah. So who knew that playing drums was actually all about trying to attract as many female birds as possible? Heavy metal drummers, I'm looking at you over there. Um, <laughs> not you, Chris. You're not a heavy metal drummer, are you? No, Okay. No. Chris could be a heavy metal drummer. Manisha, are you a heavy metal drummer? Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> I am not. I am um, so not. <laughs> anyway, the most remarkable thing about this behaviour is... Oh, I just thought of a new animal from the band, the deaf leopard. Oh, God. Think of heavy metal drummers. Yeah. (gasps) Crazy. Anyway, um, so the most remarkable thing about this behavior is that these birds, um, you know, they're not just like any old idiot who has a drum kit and thinks that they can drum. Mm -hmm. Um, They take their art very seriously. They produce their own distinctive beat and rhythm. Um, So the researchers recorded over 131 drumming sequences produced by 18 palm cockatoo males in the north of Australia. Um, And what they found was that the beats they made um, occurred at non-random regular intervals, like like any good um, fat beat would would be. (laughs) Do they also have calls? Like do they have songs They have calls as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're absolutely. calling and drumming. They're calling and drumming sometimes at the same time. Wow, that's um, amazing. The calls yeah. are like, uh, hey, everybody, we're going to be in the palm cockatoos in the house. We're going to... Any female oh, cockatoos in the house. There are, <laughs> dare I say, much cooler than that. <laughs> <laughs> so individual males also differ significantly in the distribution of their beat patterns. So it indicates that each of the cockatoos has a very unique individual individual drumming style. Right. So that is pretty cool and this is really um this is really important because 
Um, although some animals, including some birds, have been known to bob along to a beat, you know, if a beat is presented to yeah, them. Yeah, you see yep. them do that. You see, you the see them do that. Yeah. Um, the palm cockatoos are the first animal to be recorded to that deliberately set their own rhythm. So then the other birds in the forest are going. So yeah. then the other birds in the forest, yeah. So they're bobbing their heads along. Yeah. Exactly. We're all bobbing our heads in the studio now yeah. to a beat that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in time. <laughs> but in time. <laughs> um, we're just as smart as palm cockatoos. Or maybe just a little bit less. I don't know. So I'm sure you've heard of animals making tools before, like maybe chimps using um, Mm -hmm. sticks to get termites out or even crows, like they can bend wires to get access to food. Um, But in these instances, the animals have been using the the tools specifically for foraging for food. Uh, But with palm cockatoos, they're doing this whole tool um, using technique. It's a whole new thing for them. It's a whole new thing in the animal world pretty much. Um, because they're going out, because they're using it for musical purposes and sexual selection. So they go out looking for a seed pod or a stick that works for them, um, and then they need to find a drum, which in the case of the palm cockatoo is a tree hollow. So they have the the drumstick, then they have the drum, and then they use the drumstick and beat out their rhythm on the hollow all the while amplifying the sound, just like a human drummer would. Now... The researchers have seen the cockatoos do this when, yeah, like I said before, they've got other visual displays going on. So they've got the calling and the singing and some sort of like squawking and some um, wing flapping and whatnot. But they also note in their paper that these palm cockatoos um, sometimes just do the drumming just for really long periods of time without any of the other um, array like any of the other sort of squawking or vocalizing or anything to go along with it. Like my next door neighbor. <laughs> yeah, it like it makes me think that they're practicing for the big gig or something mm-hmm. like that. Like your next door neighbor, the big gig that never comes along. <laughs> um, so this, it's a pretty great thing for palm cockatoos, but it also has implications for humans and maybe possibly understanding our own desire and impulsion towards music. So music is something that's common to all human societies and cultures um, and it's not really understood why we have evolved music. You know, that whole idea of music is a little bit, we don't know a lot about it. So the palm cockatoo researchers are suggesting that although there aren't a lot of um, similarities between palm cockatoo culture and human culture, the idea that the male's drum as a sexual display for female birds could give us an insight or at least a theory as to how us humans came to make and appreciate fine musical beats as well. I'm going to leave you today with a little bit of audio, a little bit of a drum beat from one of these palm cockatoos. Look, I mean, I can't say it's going to be the most amazing drum beat that you'll ever hear, but it's definitely the first time you've ever heard an animal other than a human making a drum beat. So enjoy the Palm Across Australia drumming on the away. Radio Network, you are listening to A Lost in Science. So here's a little quiz. Let's see how well uh, read on your world history you are. Who was the first person to sail around the world? 
Oh, was it Marco Polo? No, he didn't sail. What's he it, walked. Was it Ferdinand Magellan? <laughs> if you said Ferdinand Magellan, you are wrong. Oh. Because... Well, Fer- I think Marco Polo was also wrong. Yeah, Marco Polo was definitely also wrong. He walked? He, he had a camel. He, he walked from Europe to Asia. That was his yeah, claim to fame. Yeah, he didn't sail. Oh, I guess because I always played that pool game, Marco Polo, I just assumed he sailed because he was in the water. Because it's a water game. Because <laughs> it's a water game. Oh, well, uh, all right. Wa- water sports aside. <laughs> History's never You're been thinking my water polo. suit. Yeah, I think I am. Marco water polo. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Anyway, Ferdinand Magellan is wrong. Oh. Um, Ferdy never made it. He never made it around the world. His mate Juan Sebastian Elcano took over his expedition and made it back to Spain in 1522. Okay, well, yeah, so it was Magellan's ex- expedition, but he, he didn't he make did it. He did set out, but he didn't make it. So people say, who's the first person who will sail around the world? It wasn't Ferdinand Magellan. It was the rest of the crew who, who actually lived through the journey. Okay, here's another one. Who was the first person to fly around the world? Was it the Wright brothers? No, they were the first person. <laughs> they were the first persons to make uh, a powered flight. Was it Amelia Earhart? No. Was it Lindbergh? It wasn't Lindbergh. Kingford Smith? It'll shock you. Who? It was a guy called Wiley Post. <laughs> who you've That's probably not a never name. heard of. It no. is. That's a real name. So Wiley, Wiley Post. Post did it in 1933. It took him about a week. What are the rules for flying around the world? Because, I mean, sailing around the world, you've got to go where the oceans are. Yeah. But flying around the world, you have to go equatorially. Or can you just do like a little lap of the North Pole? Yeah, I don't think he – that he's not the first person to have fl- flown around the equator, but he yeah. flew from one point travelling in, in the same direction and okay. arrived back at the same point okay. in a plane, in a powered aircraft. Maybe, maybe someone did do it in a balloon – but they may have tried to do that and they were never found. Uh, so we don't know that story. But in a powered uh, aircraft, he flew around the world. Now, who was the first person to orbit the Earth? I know John Glenn did it. Yeah. Was he, he the first? No. Was it a Russian person? It was a Russian person. Um, Yuri. Was it Yuri Gagarin? Yuri it was Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin. Hey, Claire, you got one. I he got was, half his name right. He was the first man in space and the first person to do an orbit because it's really hard to shoot someone into space unless yeah. you're going to send them around at least yeah. once. I think <laughs> Alan Shepard, though, they only sent up and he came back down. They, they sort of did, like, they did some vertical up yeah. and down ones, yeah. but um, Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space and the first Good one, orbit. Yuri. Um, but some people said that he didn't deserve that title because he ejected from his uh, reentry capsule before it hit the ground. Because they hadn't actually figured out how to land them yet, so he was. In Hang this... on. So why do people say? Well, they they say, well, he took off, but he didn't land in his spacecraft, oh, so it's not really. Are cruel. Yeah, I think I, I think people. all the astronauts. I think all the astronauts in the world and all the cosmonauts probably go. We'll give it to Yuri. Fair yes. enough. Fair enough. Um, so since then, thousands of people have sailed and flown around the world, and a couple of hundred have orbited the Earth. Not that many, really, if you think about how long the space programs yeah. have been going. It's only, it's only a couple of hundred people who've, uh, wow. who've gone all the way around in space. But still, suddenly, some people have recently decided that they're all lying <laughs> and that you can't circumnavigate the globe because the Earth is, according to them, a flat surface. How many thousands of people have gone in a round-the-world plane trip, I guess, is the thing well, I'm wondering. plenty. I mean, yeah. it's pretty easy to buy a ticket. It costs yeah. you about 2000 bucks, I think, if yeah. you want to go around the world, depending which stops you like to make. Or And are they all lying too? Well, presumably. According to the, according to the, uh, the concept of the flat Earth, that nobody can have flown around the world because it's flat, according to them. 
But the other thing you can uh, draw into these kind of ideas is a bloke called William of Ockham. Have you all heard of William of Ockham? Invented the the razor, didn't he? He he invented a, a kind of razor. Right. Um, it wasn't an actual razor. It was more of a metaphorical ah. razor. Ockham's. Um, Ockham's razor. In, indeed, it was. Um, whether he shaved or not, I'm not sure. He was a cleric, so he may have done that shave the middle bit of his head. Did he also invent the Ockham Sockham robots? Uh, no, that's no, no. That was a lot later. Okay. Um, do, do you think that's going to be the next sort of um, hipster oh, trend? Cool. Replace the man bun. Replace the man bun is like shave <laughs> off the man, man bun, bun and, and just um, just, shave have a the, just have the just have the the, uh, the, the fryer so popular. Yeah. Well, you never know. You're never, never going to be wearing those long brown lo- robes. That's it'll yeah. Great. It'll be great. Um, yeah, bald looking Jedi guys. <laughs> Basically, Occam's razor is not an actual razor. It's a philosophical principle, which is quite useful in science as well. In simple terms, he stated that the most likely explanation for anything is the one that explains the most about the world by introducing the least assumptions into the explanation. Basically, it's like the simpler the explanation, the better it is as an explanation. And partly that works in science because the simpler an explanation is, the easier it is to test. If you've only got mm. one factor to test for, you can test for that quite easily. So the explanation sort of becomes self-explanatory, I guess. Uh, he said it in very complicated language because he was writing in the 14th century. Another reason why he didn't invent Rock'em Sock'em robots. He said something like quantity should not be multiplied necessar- unnecessarily. Quantities of entities should not yeah. be multiplied unnecessarily. But yeah. I think he even said that in Latin. So yeah. It uh, makes it even more tricky. My Latin's terrible. Um, but people have been pondering the shape of the world since way before the 14th century, quite obviously. As soon as they worked out there was a world, they figured it must be shaped like something and wondered what that shape was. Um, so obviously the first thing that a lot of philosophers might have done is looked up into the sky and thought, well, there's other things around and they're all round. So maybe the earth would be round as well. Well, you can only see two things. There is the... With the naked eye, that's true. Yeah. Um, you can see other objects. If you have a powerful enough telescope, you can actually see that Mars... I'm guessing we're looking at the first philosophers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. But they could see the moon and they went, well, the moon's round, so the Earth's probably round. But you know it's a sphere, do you not? Like... Well, you only see one side of it. So, yeah. mm. you know, potentially it could just be a flat plate being mm. held up by forces unknown. You're listening to Lost in Science on the Community Radio Network and keep listening as Stu talks us through what observations you can make to show that the Earth is round, not flat. But hey, don't listen to me. Here's Stu with the facts. So once they figured out that the the Earth had to have some sort of a shape, uh, a bloke called Aristotle, you may have heard of this guy, around 350 BCE, uh, before the Common Era, Um, He took a holiday to Egypt. He went to see the pyramids and he noticed when he was there that he could see stars in Egypt that he couldn't see when he was in Greece. Mm. And his his first, you know, inclination was to think, well, that probably means that the Earth's round. First inclination was that there was some sort of inclination going on. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, And basically, if you think about it, standing on, if you're standing on a flat surface, it doesn't matter how far around or at what point on that flat surface you're standing, you should be able to see everything above you. Um, but whereas if you're on a curved surface, you'll see different things depending on what point on the globe you're standing. Mm. Mm. 
I think we want to help how high they are above you. Well, it, it would matter how high they are above you, but it would still have some influence on uh, on your view. Now, a hundred years after Aristotle, there was another Greek called er- Eratosthenes who estimated the circumference of the Earth in stadia. So as in the stadium that they had sports and Olympics in. And chariot races. Yeah, he, uh, he sort of said, well, if you line up this many around the Earth together, that that's how far around the Earth it is. And he was with his mates, with his friends. He uh, got together and figured out the lengths of shadows in different places around the Earth and, and what that would mean mathematically, uh, how big the Earth would have to be for, the, for their calculations to all add up to being an actual round object. So this is, you know, still two, over 2,000 years ago that these guys were working this stuff out just by observing what they could see on the, uh, on the, on the globe that are around them. And another simple way you can tell if... You can tell at least that the Earth is curved is if you climb up something. So obviously at ground level we're surrounded by plants and trees and houses and buildings and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a bit harder to see in a straight line. But if you're ever anywhere, you know, out in a desert or somewhere where there's nothing around you and you have the opportunity to climb up, say, a, a watchtower or a bushfire tower or something like that, you can actually see as you go up the tower, you can see further and further away just with the naked eye because you can see things beyond the horizon as you get higher up the tower. So it's pretty obvious that the Earth's curved because otherwise you'd be able to see the same things no matter how high up you went. They'd just be vanishing in the distance, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, Another thing that we know is the theory of gravity, which took a long time to figure out, but the theory of gravity basically says that all matter is attracted to other matter. And if you have big lumps of matter in space, it will all be attracting to each other and you'll end up with these big round blobs in space floating around being attracted to each other in orbit around other things that are attracted to each other and so on and so on. And that's how we get planets and stars and all those other things as well. So this stuff has been around for a really long time. The observations have been around for a really long time. The hypotheses have been around for a really long time. The evidence has been around for a really long time. People have literally been to the moon and taken photos of the Earth from space. It's round. People have flown around and around and around the Earth. International Space Station's taken photos from all over the place and so have heaps of other satellites. So the, the obvious conclusion is that the fewest assumptions introduced is that the Earth is round. All of the evidence that we have suggests that it's round. And so as far as Occam's razor goes, the Earth is round. But there's one thing you can do, if this is all too much, is doing your head in, just take a break and go to the beach and sit on the beach. If you can find a shipping lane, that would be really good. But sit on the beach and sit and watch the horizon for a ship. And what you'll notice is that the ship will pop up all of a sudden instead of coming from a distance, which it would if it was a flat, flat plane, it will just suddenly pop up over the horizon for no apparent reason, except that the Earth is curved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call shenanigans on that, really? um, because I have tried that experiment, and it's actually surprisingly difficult. Well, it's very hard to see that far. Yeah, and one of the reasons it's hard to see that far is because you go to the beach, um, the ocean is notoriously um, got lots of water, and waves. it's waves and spray as well. Mm. The horizon the actual horizon is quite fuzzy. Mm. And so, yeah, it is actually not 
straightforward to do the experiment. I'm just going to put that out there, that I have tried that. And, yeah, it's kind of disappointing when you go, oh, why? Well, if anyone wants to uh, go out there and do it and take some... Send some photos. Take some, some, photos, some photos. Or, or even, you know, take a bit of footage with your uh, your phone camera yeah. and send it into us. But it it has been observed. I mean, they were observing this in ancient Greece. Well, they reported I the ocean, this, yeah. I don't know if the ocean yeah. was calmer in those days or... Maybe there was less pollution around. Yeah. Or they just didn't know what the colour blue was. It is an interesting thing. There's a lot of these things that, um, that yeah, are perfectly logical and make sense in, in principle, but in practice can be quite challenging to do. Like observing... Like in theory, it's impossible to measure the curvature of the Earth by looking at the, um, the change in, say, the horizon and, and things in the distance by just getting down off the ground and standing up again. Yeah. But in practice, to do that, you would need to be like in a very flat plane, like yeah. at the desert with the perfect wind condition, uh, weather conditions so you get that perfect horizon. Whereas normally when there are trees and buildings and stuff, that's actually very difficult to do that. It is. And I, I think probably the easiest one, if anyone does want to, try and experiment is climbing up a tower yeah if you can find a good tower that's um in terms of in terms of actually yeah seeing things um disappearing and on the, that sort of thing on the horizon one thing that's right in the distance that you can measure it's um it's time over the horizon is the sunset so in theory what you should be able to do is you stand up you watch the sunset and as soon as it disappears below the, so no you don't stand up you lie down as soon as you see the sunset go below the horizon you stand up and then you should, and you be, should able be able to see the sun see. again and then you yeah. time how long it takes to go down and that in theory should be how you can measure the curvature of the earth however again it relies on a very good horizon that you get and no clouds clearly but you can get a good horizon at the beach you know, it's yeah. um, also that yeah, or maybe a lake or something like that that's going to be really flat. Yeah, yeah. maybe the desert, maybe Antarctica. Spray. Yeah, mm. so go to Antarctica and try it. But then you probably, you know, realize that there's not a wall of ice at Antarctica anyway. And the penguins will be like, "We knew this all along." Yeah. Considering people have crossed Antarctica as well, there's yeah probably not a wall of ice in the middle of it. Our lovers of science fiction here at Lost in Science, and we are all very excited that there is a new Doctor Who, and she is a female Doctor. So we just thought we would play that for you. That's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Lost in Science is recorded in the 3CR studios in Melbourne and broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us. You can find us on Gmail at lostinsci at gmail.com uh, or you can track us down at Lost in Sci, um on Twitter or you can find us Lost in Science on 3CR on Facebook. 
And of course, you can podcast us wherever you get your podcasts from. But whatever you do, we hope that you can tune in next week to get lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.